And you're very welcome to Wednesday's programme. How you doing? It's all good with you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for meeting me here every day at five. I love it. I've got a really interesting guest lined up for you today. Stay in touch with me during the programme. The usual ways you can tweet me or you can drop me a message through the website richieallen.co.uk. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... I'm looking forward to chatting with Debbie Hicks this hour in around about a half an hour's time. You may very well have heard of Debbie. Debbie live streamed on her phone inside Gloucestershire Royal Hospital in December last year. She wanted to make a very interesting point about what we were being told on the news about hospitalisations around coronavirus and death. So Debbie did that. Uh, She's uh, facing trial for that, right, for doing that, but also for breaching lockdown uh, guidelines and breaching the Coronavirus Act. She's in court for that next week, and I've invited her on the programme. Debbie's from Stroud. She's a well-known activist, and we'll have a good old chat with her in, as I said, around about a half an hour's time. I'm with you for about 90 minutes today. Not the usual two hours. With you for about 90 minutes till about 6.30 so uh, lots to talk about then Debbie and you can join in and I do and will be reading out those tweets as we go along. I don't know my, my, my luxury here these days with the old air con. I'm loving it. It really is lovely. It's lovely here in, in Super Solly. That's uh, Salford to you, by the way. Uh, good evening to uh, Tony Sausage. How are you doing, Tony Sausage? Tony's on Twitter and he's been bemoaning the fact that you tend to get one side of the lockdown thing, of, of the COVID thing on this particular programme. And Tony has a point. You do tend to get one side of it on this programme. Every stage scientist, every one of them, all of the JCVI committee members, every single one of them, and some of the more pro-lockdown journalists have been invited to appear and debate with me on this programme. And I have the emails to prove it. But they don't come on. It's, it's an interesting thing. And obviously Tony, God love him, I'm sure he's a lovely fella, obviously doesn't listen to the show very much because I've said this before. It's one of the things that cheeses me right off. It's difficult for me having gone through an academy of journalism with great presenters and great uh, news writers and, and great editors. It's a pain in the backside to me that I can't have a robust but respectful debate with people because they won't come on programmes like this. There are two reasons for it. One, they maybe fear that they will be targeted in the media for deigning, deigning, that means to stoop, to stoop so low as to speak to the likes of me, but also for many of them, they know that the argument or or the science isn't with them and that the science is on my side. I'm not a scientist, but the research and the data is with me. So they either decline, and it's only a few of them who've declined, most of them just ignore. That's how it is. You don't have to tell me that this programme 
on COVID is very one-sided. It is. It is. But that's not my fault. I can't do any more than offer the invitation to people to come on. All right. You might uh, spread that message around if anybody says, this guy only speaks to people he agrees with. Heavens no. I do everything I can for it not to be this way. But what more can I do, right? It is the 7th of July, so 16 years ago today, not long before the oft-mentioned El Frogo Tremendo and myself left this country to go and live in Spain. The... London bombings happened, often referred to as 7-7. Very American. Dreadful thing for anybody caught up in it. The four suicide attacks, allegedly carried out by Islamist terrorists in London. And you know that bombs were detonated on London underground trains and one was detonated on a double-decker bus in Tavistock Square. And a lot of people died. 52 people died. The bombers allegedly... And uh, more than 700 people were injured. It was the country's first Islamist suicide attack, we were told. And the deadliest terrorist incident uh, on domestic soil. Right? Okay. I've always believed, not because I'm a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy nut job, but because I've had a really good look at it over the years, that the men that it was blamed on namely Hasib Hussein, Mohammed Sadiq Khan, Jermaine Lindsay and Shehzad Tanweer, I believe they had nothing to do with it. Nothing. But yet God loved them and their families. Um, they will be blamed for it forevermore because the media couldn't be arsed in doing its job. Now this came up recently, but it's worth playing again. On the day of the attack, right, a guy called Peter Tower, uh, Tower a guy called Peter Power from a company called Visor Consultants, gave interviews to several media, including ITV, saying that he was working on a crisis management simulation drill in the city of London on the day. I can't keep the smile out of my voice, even though there's nothing funny about 52 people dying. He said, we were running a crisis management situation drill in London based on simultaneous bombs going off precisely at the railway station's where it happened today. When he was told, as he was running his drill, that there was an attack going on in the same place, but in real life, he, he said it was a coincidence. That was much later. This is what he told ITV News on the evening of the attack. And this is, well, this is rabbit hole stuff. Issue. Uh, today we were running an exercise for a company, bearing in mind I'm now in the private sector, and we sat everybody down in the city, a thousand people involved in the whole organisation, but the crisis team, and the most peculiar thing was, we based our scenario on the simultaneous attacks on the underground and mainline station. So we had to suddenly switch an exercise from fictional to real. And one of the first things is, get that bureau number, when you have a list of people missing, tell them. And so it took a long to, time. Just to get this right, you are actually working today on an exercise that envisioned yes. virtually this scenario. Uh, almost precisely. I was up until 2 o'clock this morning because it, it's our job, my own company, Visor Consultants. We specialise in helping people to get their crisis management response. How do you jump from slow time thinking to quick time doing? And we chose a scenario with their assistance which is based on a terrorist attack because they're very close to uh, a property occupied by Jewish businessmen. They're in the city and there are more American banks in the city than there are in the whole of New York. A logical thing to do. And it, I've still so got the... 
I was say, how extraordinary today <laughs> must yeah. feel for you as, as it unfolds. You, you mentioned a few moments ago there Jenny our experience on. with Irish Republican terrorism. Yeah. He's had the biggest scoop in the history of television news and the guy just moves on. Yeah, I'll repeat it because it does bear repeating. On the day of the attack 16 years ago, Peter Power went on television and said we were running a drill that imagined exact imagined now exactly the same scenario that unfolded and in the same locations. And the country swallowed that. They believed it. What happened, of course, was later on, much later on, Peter Power said that it was a spooky coincidence. Now, I don't have that audio, but he did tell a Canadian television station that it was all a spooky coincidence. Nothing to see here. Please disperse. Please! Right? Can't stress enough how important all of that is in terms of understanding who really controls... Um, our paradigm and and what ultimately what controls our paradigm dreadful stuff really i don't know for sure how they did it but i would guess that the lovely gentleman hasib hussein mohammed sadika khan jermaine lindsay and shazad tanweer i think they were brought to london to be part of the of the drill to play their part i think they were given rucksacks and i don't i don't think they understood that their rucksacks in fact, contained explosives. Now, they wouldn't have known that there were other explosives placed underneath some of the trains as well, and, uh, and, and, and that's the way it is. It's, it's monstrous, but it's, it's true. You heard Peter Power there. Right, it's ten minutes past five. How about those frogs, eh? Which frogs, you cry? Well, the people of the city of Tours in the Loire Valley... Um, it's on my website, check it out, richieallen.co.uk, courtesy of my friend Sophie Lambert. How are you doing, Sophie? Bonjour. How are you doing, Andrew? Sophie put me on to it. Um, Southwest France, Sophie lives. Nobody outside France has picked this up. On Friday last, the city of Tours opened its annual fair, which is uh, a big deal, but even more of a big deal now because this year is the centenary, the 100th fair. But last Friday, when it was opened, the organisers and the traders were standing around basically scratching their backsides because there was hardly anyone there. And the reason there was hardly anyone there is because attendees, Joe Public, and the staff who were due to work the stalls and the attractions were told they would need a sanitary pass to get in. And to acquire a sanitary pass you needed to show either proof of vaccination or take a PCR test at the entrance on site. Now, throughout Friday, the fair was a ghost town and, would you believe, of the staff meant to turn up for work, only 4% of them arrived on the day. So there was panic, right? Because to get a pitch, it cost thousands of euros. So the traders were properly cheesed off, started screaming bloody murder. They ended up, some of them, buying products and selling products to one another. And punters were basically staying away in their thousands. Nobody wanted to do anything with the PCR tests and it all looked very grim indeed. But the traders bombarded the local authority all day long. Not only the traders, but the people as well. With texts, with emails, vile threats, I have no doubt. Retribution, if you don't scrap the sanitary pass, if you don't get rid of it. The city blinked. And the fair was mobbed over the rest of the weekend. I'm, I'm informed that the PCR tests stood, basically, uh, unused 
at the entrances to the fair, uh, the people of Tours stood up. And that's a wonderful thing, right? I think it's a wonderful bit of news. Uh, a city, effectively. And a group of business people said, no, piss right off. And eventually the city backed down. Maybe there's a lesson there for the businessmen and women of the UK and of Ireland. We want to come into your shops. We want to visit your theatres. It's been so long since I've seen a play. We want to drink coffee. You go to your cinemas. We want to get pissed right up in your bars and stuff our faces in your restaurants. And we'll do it. So long as you don't start any of this, have you been jabbed? Bollocks. Or any of the rest of it. Okay? Okay. Um, we're at peak covid I think. I wrote about this on richieallen.co.uk too. Peak covid Um You think you've seen it all, then you see something else again. At about 8 o'clock local time last night, Denver Zoo said that it would be giving COVID jabs to, to some of its animals from next week. Someone tweeting on behalf of the zoo said, the safety and well-being of our animals is always a top priority for the zoo. <laughs> it's always a top priority. We look after our animals, they said. And um, so we're going to jab some of them. The vaccinations are part of our overall strategy to protect our animals from infection from COVID. And we'll be monitoring each, we will, we will be monitoring each vaccinated individual closely individual, after they have received their dose. That's what the zoo said. Right, so I done a bit of digging into it. And uh, so did the Telegraph newspaper. Had a bit of a look into it. But there must be some problem. Why would you be vaccinating your, your animals, be jeepers? You know why? They, they must be developing COVID. Uh, no, no. Uh, there hasn't been a single case of COVID-19 in a single animal at the Denver Zoo in the last... 15 months, that's right. Not to be outdone, Oakland Zoo in California has already been jabbing some of its animals with the jab, which is known as the Zetus jab. It's a COVID jab that has been adapted for our furry friends. And uh, guess what? (laughs) Oakland hasn't had a single positive case in an animal either. That's right, not a single case, but um, sure, look, we'll, we'll jab them anyway, you know. We'll jab them. Jab them on the beaches, jab them in the air, jab them everywhere. It's time for a new, <laughs> new feature, a new feature every single day of the week. Um, it's time to hear from a COVID witch doctor. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. Yes, I spare no expense when, when I do my production. Witch doctors. Here's Margaret Harris, who's a spokesperson or spokeswoman or whatever from the World Health Organization. Now, Sky News has been running an anti-fake news report all day long. You could choke on the irony, right? Sky News is running an anti-fake news report all day long. Sky is very concerned that rumours continue to persist that the vaccines can have a negative effect on fertility. Sky doesn't like that. That's fake news and it it must be dealt with. Here's Neil Patterson. He's the cuckoo in Kay Burley's nest this week. I don't know where Kay is. Wait till you hear the intro. Uh, let's, see. let's speak now to Margaret Harris, uh, spokesman for the World Health Organization. Margaret, lovely to see you again. Do hope you've been well. Um, <laughs> I wonder, though, if we might just pick up on, on the report uh, from our, my colleague Kate McCann. Uh, the link, or the complete absence of a link, uh, between receiving a vaccination uh, and fertility issues. I mean, that is the case. There is no link to speak of, is there? Right. 
I don't know why you brought her on, Neil. You know, there is no link to speak of, is there? There's no link. There's no link between COVID and fertility, is there? Is there, Margaret? I don't know why I brought you on. I could have just told everybody myself. He could at least pretend that he's a bit worried about fertility. At least act like he's going to give her a bit of a grilling. But anyway, what did Margaret Harris of the World Health Organization say? Good morning, Neil. And yes, it's very important to know there is no link. Um, we have- how, how could she know? And by the way, they haven't identified which particular vaccine they are speaking of. Because there are several now. You have Moderna, you have Johnson & Johnson, mother of God, right? You have, you have, you have, you have AstraZeneca, you have the other one, the other one, Pfizer. So they could at least say which one they're talking about. But no, no, all of them. No worries about fertility. I've been looking, we look at all aspects of safety, any kind of adverse reactions, and we are not seeing any link with fertility. And what was really raised in that, a really critical point, is people who become pregnant have much worse outcomes if they develop COVID during the pregnancy. This is a massive lie now. Massive lie. There is no data to support her claim that a lady who hasn't been jabbed and then gets pregnant, they have worse outcomes, far worse outcomes. It's a, it's a lie because the women who get pregnant generally tend to be young women. They generally tend to be under 40. Most of them are under 30, believe it or not. And uh, they're not coming down with all sorts of illnesses because they haven't been jabbed. So she's lying through her teeth is Margaret Harris. So uh, we're seeing, a sadly, higher rates of death, higher rates of severe illness. Oh my God, she's now saying we're seeing higher rates of death and higher rates of illness in pregnant women who didn't have the jab. Again, I cannot find a newspaper article that is even claiming this. Of course, Patterson, well, he's not going to intervene, is he? And bad and higher rates of loss of the baby as well. More bullshit. Again, nonsense. There is no evidence emerging that there are higher rates of miscarriage in women who haven't been vaccinated. This is, this is an infomercial for the jabs. And Neil Patterson, he's totally on board. So anybody thinking about preg- planning to become pregnant should really be looking to get vaccinated now. My God. Yeah, and, and just in terms, though, of... Uh, Go on, ask a question, Neil. Of, ...of the data around this. This is... A, you can understand why misinformation has been out there since the start of the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic. We've talked about it in the past. But at times like this, particularly as regards people who are either looking to become pregnant or who are currently pregnant, I mean, it is very, very dangerous, isn't it, to have lies, half-truths, myth-truths uh, floating around in the cybersphere. Objection, Your Honour. Counsel is testifying on behalf of the witness. Your Honour, counsel is testifying on behalf of the witness. He's not asking her any questions. He's testifying, Your Honour. <laughs> when did Neil Patterson get a, a degree or, or a doctorate in, in epidemiology or vaccinology? It just gets worse day by day by day by day, is what it gets. Um, back to Maggie. Certainly. And as we've said quite often before, the misinformation, the infodemic, is often harder to fight than yeah. the pandemic itself. Dance the old-fashioned way. Yeah, they're having a dance there. What about the vaccine passports then? So ultimately, certainly there will be certification of vaccines. Will uh, Vaccine status will be important for making those decisions. Right now, we're saying, especially for international travel, that because the supply is so low and inequitable, we don't 
are we asking it not be used as a as a prerequisite prerequisite for exit and entry from countries? Not now, but but no. But knowing your vaccine status, knowing the vaccine status of people, does help you to make decisions yeah. about what your level of risk is. Oh yeah, knowing the vaccine status of other people should be your right, so that you know what your level of risk is. Are you going to see Salford play Luton Town on Saturday, are you? Well, I want to know, is everybody in my section of the ground vaccinated? I have a right to know that. That's Margaret Harris there. Margaret is, well, she is, she is. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. She's a witch doctor. (laughs) She sure is. Anyway. Did you fancy, um, I love these witch doctors. Are you fed up of being white by any chance? I don't know why you'd be fed up of being white because we're so privileged, aren't we? Are you fed up of being black, maybe, because you don't have any privileges? Are you fed up of being Latino, maybe? Well, no problem. You're obviously trapped in the wrong race. Didn't you know that? Ollie London, I'm sure you've heard of Ollie, apparently is a Korean trapped in a Caucasian body. Now stop laughing, this is cutting-edge science, this. I'm beginning to believe this. Uh, He's been on This Morning, which is a television programme, airs in the week, presented by Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield. (laughs) Holly London, a Korean trapped in a Caucasian's body. It happens, don't laugh. So you've said um, that you felt like you've been trapped in the wrong body for many years. Just explain that a little bit. So I feel the only way of really comparing this is maybe someone that's transgender. Um, and I, I mean, no offense to the transgender community. This is just how I would explain it is someone that feels like they're born in the wrong body. So for the last nine years, I felt like I've been trapped um, since I, <laughs> I lived in Korea. I feel like I identify as Korean. Everything. For the last nine years, I felt like I've been trapped since I've lived in Korea. So for the last nine years, I felt like I've been trapped. Um, since I lived in Korea, I feel like I identify as Korean. Everything about the culture is me. Is him. And to make sure that we believe that he's serious, this nutjob has had surgery to make his face look a bit more Korean. But he didn't go to Harley Street. He he, he went to Dr Nick Riviera in Springfield because... They've done an absolute balls of a job on, on him. He doesn't look Korean. You know, I feel at home there. I don't feel judged. I feel like Korean people accept me. Uh, I feel like I have the look now. So it's <laughs> it's been a very difficult journey. But I just feel like, um, you know, it's it's how I felt inside. And it's I've just felt trapped. And uh, there's, there's no better way of explaining it than that. And it's like someone that maybe is born in the wrong body. i bo- felt that way for so long. Or born in the wrong country. Born in, well, in my case, born in the wrong country. I wasn't born in Korea, but I feel like in a, a past life, I was meant to be born in Korea, yes. Because you, you mentioned that... Uh, um, in a past life, I was meant to be born in Korea. But, uh, um, and, quite, and it's lovely. I'm so glad that you know, when you're there, that you, that you are uh, um, looked after and that um, people accept and are inclusive, which is really important, but... Ah, oh, Philip, Philip, just take him to the cleaners, man. You know, when you present live TV or radio, you pray for opportunities. They don't come along too often. When you can just absolutely muller a bloke. Just go for him, Philip. You know you want to, 
hammer him. Korean national Sandra Song, who writes for the um, LA magazine paper, said, as someone who actually has Korean DNA, I can say someone suddenly deeming themselves Korean is incredibly offensive, yeah. especially since it effectively trivialises our identities because they're suddenly trendy. Yeah, what do you say to that, Ollie? You know, I, I think there's so much, um, so many problems these days with woke culture and there's so many people, which I think it's fantastic people have opinions, but I feel like people are so quick to play the race card. So obviously, Paper Magazine is a very kind of... Um, he said people you know, are quick to play the race card. And, which is fine, you know, but uh, I do feel like they were quite harsh with their criticism and I feel like they have a lack of understanding and uh, of course I understand the journalist was uh, of Korean ancestry. And I no, she's not of Korean ancestry. She's a folk in Korean. An actual Korean woman, born and bred in Korea, who looks Korean. She's not got ancestry. And I respect Korea so much, but I just feel like people, <laughs> people are so quick to judge these days. You know, it's fine to identify as a hundred different genders. It's fine to identify as an alien if you want to, but why can't I identify as Korean? So I don't see why. Because you weren't born in Korea and you don't have Korean DNA. There isn't a single member of your family that was born there or anywhere else outside of the UK either. You're a madman. Why people take offence and I understand that. We don't take offence. We just want to reserve or retain the right to laugh hysterically at lunatics like you. And that should be a basic human right. I retain the right to laugh in your face for trying to convince me that this is legitimate, that you were born in the wrong race. And that she may be from <laughs> Korean ancestry and I respect that, but I just feel like, uh, you know, she's she's just targeting me uh, wrongly. You know, I haven't actually done anything wrong to offend Korea and I feel like I'm one of the biggest ambassadors for Korea and for Korean people. Uh, well, yeah. Hang on a second now. This speaks to... Uh, what? What mother Jesus? What what was that? I've actually done anything wrong to offend Korea, and I feel like I'm one of the biggest ambassadors for Korea and for Korean people. One of the biggest. Um and and you're surrounded by them, you know. They, they live amongst us, these people. And pretty soon, I won't be able to do what I just did without being charged with a hate crime. Pretty soon, before you know it. <laughs> there'll be a an email or or a phone call from 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 a Bobby from a member of Her Majesty's Constabulary Constabulary I can never say Constabulary Constabulary. Uh, Mr. Allen, uh, we believe that you laughed at a, a, a hate crime, but he wasn't born in Korea. None of his family come from Korea. He's had an operation. They made a balls of it, by the way, and he doesn't look any more Korean now than he did yesterday. This is where we're going, folks. 26 and a half minutes past five. Debbie Hicks will be with me shortly. I want to give a quick mention. I shouldn't make, give a quick mention to my friend Mark Boyersky. You know, um, it was mentioned to me by Spiro Skouras yesterday. He said to me, Richie, as long as I've known you, you don't often mention the funding of the show. I don't. I don't. I've tried to do it a little bit more once a month or whatever. And uh, it's funded completely by you. There is no advertising and it's not um, behind a paywall. I'll never, I'll never charge for it. I kind of make it, produce it, basically on your good grace. And um, you support it when, when you have a couple of bob, and that's lovely. Last night when Mark was on, he said at the end of the programme, he said, Richie, I've got this beautiful crystal. It's worth a lot of money. It's beautiful. I, I saw it on a video he made today. Um, Maldivite, it's gorgeous. And he said, from now until next Tuesday... Anyone who supports the programme by sending five quid or five euro to the programme 
will go into a draw and somebody will win this beautiful crystal. So I want to mention that again. Thanks to everyone who has participated thus far. Thanks again to Mark Boyerski, he's a lovely bloke. And um, and just thanks. Right, okay. And thank you for supporting the independent media, not just this programme. We don't have advertising, despite our numbers. We don't. I, no, actually, hang on. I've been asked um, three times in the last couple of months, and uh, I've been speaking to Hayden Hewitt about this, uh, gambling companies. Because the website is doing well, it's getting a lot of traffic. RichieAllen.co.uk. Some gambling companies have asked about some sort of deal where we um, where where we would put a, a, a banner or something on the site, and clicks would then generate some revenue for the program. You know me, I'm a gammon, I'm a big mouthed Egypt, I'm no virtue signaler, but I'm not taking that money. Or that sort of money. And the other thing I get asked to do quite a bit is I get asked to endorse a product. And some of the people who ask me to do it are lovely people. I have no doubt they're genuine people. And I say to them, listen, I can't endorse your product, but if you'd like me to help you create a 30-second ad, I can run ads. But they're American mostly. And in America, advertising has moved more towards endorsements by content creators or by hosts like me. But I'll never do that. I can't do that. Not in any good conscience. I can't say, listen, I've taken this supplement and it's brilliant. I recommend you take it too. I I will never, ever, ever, ever do that. So there are one or two little advertising things that do come in, but they're not suitable for the programme and that's about the size of it. Here's a tune from Mark Morrison. When I return, Debbie Hicks will be with me important stuff this looking forward to chatting with Debbie can you believe it's half five nobody's mentioned the foosball I just mentioned the, I just mentioned the foosball go on England that is Mark Morrison and Return of the Mac. 28 minutes to the top of the year. It is Wednesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. Good to be with you as always. BBG Richie, that's the Twitter thing. You can contact me via the website if you don't do Twitter. Let's uh, get Debbie on the programme. Looking forward to meeting uh, Debbie. Now, you might know this because it's a pretty big deal. It was a big deal. It is now, but it was a big deal last year. Uh, Debbie uh, filmed at uh, Gloucestershire Royal Hospital in December of last year. In fact, very uh, shortly after Christmas, if I, if I remember it uh, c- correctly. And she got into a bit of hot soup for that. And um, she faces a trial over that, but she also fa- faces a trial which is coming up next week for allegedly breaching the Coronavirus Act because uh, it is alleged that she failed to leave the Stratford Park area of Stroud when requested. I'm delighted to welcome Debbie to the programme. Debbie, welcome to the show. How are you? Great. Thank you so much. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm really well, Debbie. Good to have you on. And I understand that next week is more about what happened at Stratford Park. Is that right? Um, no, that's been, um, that's been adjourned to the 20th of July, which is the week after. Next week is, in fact, Monday the 12th of July is my trial for filming the hospital. Well, well, well. And that's and that's a charge, it's um, a criminal charge that they're putting forward. And it's um, a charge under the Public Order Act. They're saying that I harassed NHS staff. I didn't. Um, and they're also trying to uh, pin a criminal behaviour order onto me. And this is where it gets really sinister, because if they manage to 
put a criminal behaviour order onto me, it could set a precedent where they start using these on all of us activists, all of us anti-lockdown yeah. activists to stop, try and stop what we're doing. Because the the, uh, the condition of the criminal behaviour order is that I can't breach any COVID regulations. Right, this is hugely interesting. So, so Monday then it is about the hospital. Right, take us back to just after Christmas then. Why did you go to Gloucestershire Hospital, Debbie? What did you hear that led you to take your camera down there? Yeah, I mean, I, I heard from lots of people locally, uh, generally in the country, that the hospitals were really quiet and that there was not much going on. I also heard from NHS staff that were talking privately that the hospitals were uh, were really quiet, and I felt I felt quite angry when I heard this because, as I'm sure it's the same for you and many of us, we all know of lots of people that couldn't get uh, essential healthcare operations treatments, and because of, because of this, I thought I, I want to go and find out. I want to see for myself what's going on. So I didn't really plan it. I didn't sort of think about it a great deal. I just walked around with my my phone in a very basic way it wasn't done in a very professional way at all and of course as you as you know it all kind of took off yeah. <laughs> it, it went everywhere it went all over the the internet and of course then I was arrested arrested two days later you were arrested and before we talk about the arrest what did you find because for some people this will be the first time uh, they heard of it I know that most of my UK listeners will of course know what happened to you and uh, they were in touch with me today to say, oh, I'm looking forward to hearing an update from, from Debbie. But for people who don't know, what did you find at, at Gloucestershire Hospital? Yeah, well, what people don't realise, because uh, surprise, surprise, the press have really lied about me and lied about what happened, is I, I went there over two days. I went back the next day as well. So the first day that I visited the hospital, it was a public holiday. That was correct. But the second day, it wasn't. It was a normal it was a normal day. These were two days normally between Christmas and New Year where you've got a high accident rate. People are, it's, it's very busy. Um, but as I walked around, I walked around all different areas of the hospital, not just the outpatients department as reported. I walked, I walked through A&E. I walked through the main corridors. And then on the second day, I walked up through all the different levels of the outpatients department, which is where the COVID for patients were um, being being looked after. Um, and it was, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I think that's why my film really just took off because it was like an apocalypse. I mean, it was, anyone would think it was, this, you know, after a nuclear holocaust, there was nobody around. You. you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was angry, Richie. I mean, I was just angry to see hospitals closed up like this when we're paying yeah. through our taxes for these these hospitals and clearly no sign of a pandemic. And you're angry. Health. You're angry. It's righteous anger because when you think of what they ask people to do and at the very beginning of this, not not me, maybe not you, but a lot of nice people who maybe don't know that there's a bit of an agenda going on. You know, a lot of people thought, oh, this is terrible. And God help those people in hospital. So, yes, I'll 
I will, you know, take a negative impact on my own life if it means that it helps other people out. So you're absolutely yeah. right to be angry when you go into the hospitals and see that, well, it's basically yeah. half empty or, or nearly empty. Shocking stuff, really. And ju- again, just for people who haven't seen it, I'm, I'm, I've seen it, obviously, but I'm asking you questions now. I know the answer to So don't think I'm a bit sick. I am a bit sick sometimes, but not today. Um, did you <laughs> did, did you um, did you speak to any of the staff there? I mean, you're very well spoken. You're a nice person, by the, you know, as far as I understand. Did you say to anybody, hey, listen, what's going on? Where's all the patients? No, because there was nobody around. There's nobody to ask. <laughs> there was, there was nobody. nobody. I mean, there was, you can see, obviously, in that footage, you can see people in the distance. There's a handful of visitors, um, paramedics. Yeah. You, that was talked about as well, that were cleaning up the back of the um, the ambulances. In the uh, on, on the second film that I did the next day, as I walked up through the outpatient um, block, it's a tower, very well known locally as the tower where everybody goes when they have operations um it was very quiet but when i got to i can't remember sort of the middle of the tower i I was going through the stairwells um a group of nhs staff came out and passed me on the stairs um i can't go into any more detail about that because i've got my trial coming up and it's it's sort of things i can't sort of go into too much detail about but they um they approached me um, and asked me what I was doing there, and um, and that was the only staff that I, I bumped into. I didn't approach them, Richie, because I didn't think it was appropriate to. Yeah, I was enough. filming, um, and I could see for myself what was going on, and I thought it was probably unethical to approach members of staff. But um, yeah, I, um, I, I mean, they just wanted to question what I was doing there because they wanted me to go, and they did ask me to yeah. leave. But I, there was no other no other questions apart from that and certainly afterwards um all i got privately was abuse um actually from nhs staff which you know that pains me to say that actually richie but people felt that they could send me private abuse over what i did because obviously um the the mass media ramped up the uh, the hatred the hatred against me and said all sorts of vile things like that i was mentally ill Instead of doing um, the, instead of doing their job and checking out what it is that you had alleged, or not what you had alleged, let's be honest about it, what your film had alleged, because there are two there's two different things going on there. You can clearly see yeah. that there's something wrong with the narrative by looking at your video. That's clear as yeah. a bell for anybody. So they should be very interested in that, and and they should they should go along. But no, they, I, I know they they came after you pretty. Uh, pretty heavy, and that's not something you would have been used to. I know, I know, when you were involved with the Labour Party, it's not relevant really. But I know you had a little bit of stick some some years ago. You made um, a crack about the uh, the Manchester <laughs> yeah. bombing, and what you said was 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 pretty fair. You know, uh, governments don't let crises go to waste. You, you made some comment about Theresa May, you yeah. know, taking advantage that's of the right. Manchester bombing. No problem with that whatsoever. Yeah. I've no problem. So you got a bit of stick then, but nothing like this. No, well, that was, I mean, that that was some years ago now. I mean, the uh, without going into detail or, or or talking too much about that, that was um, that was I, what, what I would say local politics. It wasn't yeah. politics; it was um, issues between people, and you know how it all works. Making sure get things get into the press. Yeah. Um, people will make sure things get into the press for certain reasons. So that's why I think that was so. 
um, that went all over national press at the time. Um, but no, thinking back, it was it wasn't really much that I said at all. So yeah, I've got a I've got a record of speaking out. I I struggle to stay quiet when I I see lies or injustice. I'm just that kind of person, and yeah. I I've got no intention of shutting up either. Um, I mean this. This case is, I mean, my, I've been talking to my solicitors today, everybody that I talk to says this is absolutely insane, you know, that you're being charged. It's terribly wrong. Them. It's terribly it, wrong. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not as if I went in there and I was swearing at them or trying to, threatening them. I, I didn't do anything at all. I mean, I, I, I spoke very assertively, that's the kind of person that I am. But I certainly didn't abuse anybody and, and certainly tried to keep out the way of anybody that I did see. And uh, it's to me, as much as I've taken the hit for it, and perhaps I'm still going to take a hit, we'll, we'll find we'll out see on next Monday. Week, yeah. it, uh, everybody's it, it, looking at this on Monday. I thought the, um, the, the park thing was first. Um, you've shook me up now. I, I didn't think uh, the, uh, the, the hospital uh, based uh, trial was so soon. But that's and I know we'll talk about this in a few minutes. I know you want people to go down there, and people should go down there because I want to endorse what you said. I shouldn't really maybe endorse, but I will because I've got to be fair. Yeah, you did go in there. Now, if they want to talk about trespass or or if they want to talk about well, you needed to get permission before filming. Leave that to one side. Maybe, maybe, maybe they have a point. Maybe, but the fact is, a claim had been made that our hospitals were bursting at the seams. You're yeah. um you're you're a known um labour person or former labour person. You've gone in there and you've filmed. Like you said, you've not gone in there shouting and bawling, giving it the big I am. You've gone in there and your film clearly demonstrates that something is wrong with the narrative. So I would call you first of all, that's journalism. That is that's basically the essence of journalism, number one. And number two, you're, even though you don't work for the hospital, it's a form of whistleblowing to, to, to a point yeah. because you're saying, "Look, this is not right." Um, and of course, the what, what you've what, what you're enduring now is retaliation, and it's to do two things: shut you up, but also send a message out to everybody else: don't be yeah. playing games with us now. If we tell you yeah. the hospitals are full, they're full, uh, and and take yeah. our word for it. So, yeah, are you a little bit nervous now about about Monday? Uh, surprisingly, no, I'm not. I know it sounds strange. A lot of people find it odd when because they think, oh, you know, you must be stressed. Or, I kind of, it's really strange. I've got to this point now where, I'm just, I don't know if this is a good thing, I'm getting so used to it all. Um, not that it should be, <laughs> I'm not trying to normalise it. Yeah. I've got so used to kind of the abuse and the harassment. I've had so much harassment since it happened, Richie. It's, it's, it's a whole other conversation I could go into. And has some of that gotten, made, um, has some of that been like proper threats now, things that you'd need to be concerned about? Uh, well, I've had the police knocking at my door with no good reason. And then when my solicitors phone them, they make out that there's been no police sent to my door late at night. I've had people following me home from, from London, very straight. I've, I've got all sorts of weird stuff going on. And, and um, of course, I do my best to keep myself safe and protect myself. But it's And I've been at protests since then, and I always get pulled out of the crowd. I think they've got me on their, their radar, the, the police. So I've got other charges now that I face for being at protests. Um, so I am, as my solicitor even concedes today, and solicitors normally are quite objective when they talk to you, even he said to me today, they're definitely targeting targeting you, Debbie. And I said, no, I, I know they are. Can um, I ask you to confirm I, I, something, Debbie? Can I ask you to confirm something? Did you just yeah. tell me 
that is it Stroud police that they've come and paid you silly nuisance visits and then denied it later? Well, I, this is it. I don't know where they were from. Um, it was late at night. I, I got it on my CCTV. So I've got all the evidence. If yeah. I ever get round financially to charging the police with all this abuse, and that's another a whole other story. But um, hey, by yeah, the way, before so, before you carry on, you don't have to worry about money. There, there is. Um, you can complain the police without paying any money, and you can. I know. I know it's the police investigating the police. I know, but it's worth your while anyway to send that footage. Uh, to the uh, is it the police complaints commission is that what it is in the UK um, we, we have a similar version in Ireland oh definitely Debbie uh, bong the video in an email yeah. to them and, and tell them this is not acceptable you might get nowhere but it won't take you too long to do it you know yeah no no you're absolutely right it's, uh, it's just I don't know I mean for me uh, many of us activists at the moment are anti-lockdown activists we're trying to pick your battles one at a time yeah. I think otherwise it can get it can get overwhelming. But um, but anyway, sorry, we were talking about them at the door, weren't we? So, yeah, yeah. They, they'd been at the door. And at the time, I had a really helpful solicitor from, from Bristol. And he said to me, if you need any help, just phone up. And I'm happy to phone, you know, phone people and find out what's going on. So he phoned Gloucestershire Police and said, um, is there a warrant for Debbie's arrest? Is there something you need to talk to her about? Because she's had two evenings on the truck. She's had the police at her door. Um, asking her ridiculous questions about her whereabouts and what she's doing. And they said, no, we don't need to speak to her. We don't have a warrant. And it was all very, very strange. So who they were um, in terms of what police force, I, I don't know. But they, they were certain, I mean, to me, it was, it's all part of the same thing. It was all designed just to make me feel stressed and scared. And the bottom line is, as you said, Rich, she's trying to stop me. I think they want to stop me being an activist. So Yeah, they do. Um, yeah. They do, especially when yeah. you do, because what you've done is valuable. You're, you're not an attention seeker saying, oh, look at me, I'm this, I'm that. What you've done is valuable. It's valuable to do that. And what we learned late last year is that you weren't alone. I've um, had a couple of um, other, um, and it has to be said, women, Go women. I'm I'm no virtue signaller, but bloody well go women who've gone into hospitals elsewhere in the country and found the same bloody thing. Empty. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it was, I mean, and that was the thing after, I mean, I don't know if it was around the same time, but there were, there were loads of videos out there. I think even in the States, people started filming their their hospitals and and of course found, found the same thing. Um, and I think the reason that they're they're so angry with me and um, want to put me in my place and make an example out of me is because it did go to the number 10 press conference. I remember switching on a couple of days later and Boris being questioned about hospital numbers. That's and right, I thought, that's right. Was that I you? Thought, wow. That was you, was it? Ah, Jesus, I should, have, I should have known that I didn't. That was based on you. Of course it was. Yes, that makes perfect course. sense. Yeah, yeah. Of course, he rubbished it. All oh, these, you know, these mad people that are doing this that are causing trouble. But at the, you know, so what it told me, which is I think what we forget sometimes as as as, as little people, is that thing that the Dalai Lama said about, you know, um, you might think a mosquito, you know, something small can't do anything, but think of a mosquito and how it can drive, drive, you know, people mad. It's, we're just these little things, but we, I, I think, we can make. Uh, have an effect I really do think we can of course we've got to take a hit but then the way I see it is yes I face court charges criminal charges but if I don't do this now it's only going to get worse so it is only going to get worse now um, 
what are we now? We're, we're 11 minutes to uh, the top of the hour. We're li- you're listening to Debbie Hicks, by the way. Uh, Debbie is an activist, very well known in in uh, in, in, in her part of the world. Uh, she's in Stroud and um, she went into a hospital in Gloucestershire last year and demonstrated that, well, th- th- that there were some pork pies being told by um by the NHS about hospitalizations and numbers her video clearly demonstrated that she's been taken to court um for that and that's uh, happening on 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 Monday this coming Monday um allegedly live streaming a video uh, basically uh, she was accused of using threatening and abusive words and and bad behavior there's no evidence to support that that I can see uh, at all and also she's uh, facing another trial for um you know basically being in breach of the coronavirus act so it's good to have Debbie on. Why? Tell me before before this happened, would you ever have believed? Would it would it ever have occurred to you that something like this could happen? That the country could be turned upside down, people's lives could be transformed in such a negative way because of a virus that, by their own admission, is is genuinely harmless to the vast majority of people. If I'd said to you back in December of 2019, uh, over a pint uh, at the arms or, 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 or at the, you know, the dog and duck, tell you what, Debbie, they're going to do all of this next year. What would you have said? Well, that's a really good question. Um, there's, there's two sort of parts to that I'd like to, to answer. The first thing is, I uh, it's, it's, as you've probably gathered, it's a subject. Um, I, I've been a politics teacher yeah, for years, yeah. so it's a subject I'm quite obsessed with. I've studied it. I'm, as you know, I've been an activist before, and so I've always taken an interest. I've always felt for a long time that actually this time is coming, a to- like a global tyranny, because obviously we've been moving to this globalism for such a long time, and I could see from 9/11 onwards how you know laws. In all different countries were identical and even back then I'm thinking well we're moving to something much more controlled here so I always felt this time was coming but no I didn't think it would be done this way so when it arrived last last March and I have to say as soon as it started I knew I knew this it was the start of it I thought that this is this is it I would never imagine that people could be so taken in by something that's so transparent. It has surprised me. It really has. I um, At the beginning, as you said, I could maybe get it for maybe the first couple of months, that fear and not understanding what's happening and have to be safe. You know, we don't know. We need to be, you know, all these figures coming in that they're reporting on a daily basis. But then I think after that, I, I have been incredibly surprised that people haven't um, questioned this further, Not at least not more people. Um, so no, it's been it's. I mean, some days even now, and 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 I have to keep reminding myself: don't ever normalise this. Don't ever normalise it. This is not normal. You know, when you go outside and I see people walking down the street masked up, and and I have to just, I look, I just think to myself: my God, it's like living in a in a crazy film. Yeah. You know, a crazy dystopian novel, and I have to pinch myself sometimes. You know, like, am I really here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is this, I have that. is this real or is it a dream? You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's hard to get your head around, isn't it, Richie? Sometimes, yeah. And uh, you know, you talked about the, the the let's call them what they are the lies about hospitalization numbers. 
Um, I was chatting via text message with my friend Jackie Devoy today. Jackie is a, a journalist. Oh, yeah. You know Jackie, and she. Yeah, we, I know. I know of her. I don't know her. You know of her, yeah. yeah. And um, there's a horrible story in the Daily Mail today. I hate to even bring it up because it's 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 such a it's a terrible thing. It's a story of a 17 year old girl. Um, a beautiful to look at, lovely looking girl, into horses and into her education. All is going well for her, um, but um, she committed suicide. Her parents um, found her hang this 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 beautiful oh. kid with everything in front of her, and um, oh. it's down to COVID isolation and lockdown. She'd been struggling for some time with self isolating at home. In the weeks leading up to her death, it just drove her basically. God love the the, the child that drove her uh, distracted. And and this all of this is going on. And while they're telling us that we need to be, you know, we need to, again, change our lives, basically harm our own lives so that people yeah. can be looked after for COVID. Hospitals are empty most of the time. And, the, and, and, and in the real world, it's having a terrible impact on the mental health of younger people, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's. You know, I mean, this is the real, you know, the real pandemic, whatever word we want to use it, isn't it? It's mental, mental illness, the impact on, on mental health. Um, as you said, I mean, the statistics, um, I'm, I'm sure the real the real numbers are far higher than that they're reporting kids with, well, not just kids, adults as well, with, with mental illness and uh, that are feeling suicidal. Um, it, it, it pains me to even think that children, I mean, children yeah. as young as, Ten, you're getting reports of that are, you know, committing suicide and, and you know, uh, mentally ill. It's just, you know, when I was that age, it wasn't even something that people talked no. about with children that experience of mental illness. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, and this is the coming. Uh, this is what we've got ahead of us, isn't it? In the coming years, is, you know, the huge, and that's when you're going to see the hospital. Well, if, if we can even get into a hospital, I think this is the whole point. So we can't use them, can't but use you know, them, the hospital. Yeah the hospitalizations from all the people that are not getting health care at the moment getting treatment the, the uh, you know the suicide rate i i don't know i know there's lots of reports about what's going on um from um you know the the, the death statistics but i'm i'm hearing privately that the uh, the suicide rate is higher than ever it's just that the i mean i don't know it ha- i don't know if it's actually been reported yet by the ons but it's that's what I'm hearing privately. Me too. Sources. Me so too. And you know, there's um, there's a Sheffield-based child psychologist who was until recently. He might still be now. He might still be doing it. He was writing a blog for the BBC, and I covered this a few months ago. Back in January or February, he said that five times the average rate, five times as many as normal uh, children with self-harming problems were going to hospitals and uh, looking to access services. So five times, and that's just, just, just one thing. I've heard a lot of, of those uh, things as well. You know, anecdotally, I live very near Salford Royal Hospital. It's a massive hospital. I, I know some staff members there. I know a cleaner there. I know somebody who works as a doctor there. They're in touch with me privately. And I know it's hearsay, and I'll, I'll be the first to say that it's hearsay. But, but they, they told me that, that Salford Royal has never, ever been under any pressure. 
through the entirety of the last 15 months. None, basically. Um, and, and that's what they tell me. And I want to... Debbie's on... Twitter. She is at Stroud, S-T-R-O-U-D, Red Shed, all one word, at Stroud Red Shed. And I've been um, creeping around your Twitter account like a stalker. Yeah, and, uh, I don't really use that. You don't lose it much, no. But, 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 uh, no, I need to get better. <laughs> yeah. But you know, yeah. but even recently, they're, they're talking about July the 19th. You're not convinced that people should be excited about July 19th because you think no. it's going to be, we're looking at winter restrictions and lockdowns again. Is that what you fear, Debbie? Yeah, definitely. It's not supposed, I mean, it, it, I, I keep saying to people every time I said, look, this is not supposed to end. You know, this is your new normal. They told us from the start, we, we, all, we have to listen to what they tell us because I know they do this double speak Orwellian thing where they say one thing and another. Although, actually, I'm not so sure it's that they say another thing. They get the media to say something different. And then they, they're, they're quite consistent, I think, in what they say. They just get the media to kind of put the carrot out there to drag people along. And then they give people the bad news saying, well, we're sorry, but we have to do this. So I think um, I'm, I'm, I don't see July the 19th being a Freedom Day. No. I mean, there's different theories. I've had people say to me, oh, they'll let us have, our, our, have the freedom for a few weeks into the, into the autumn, uh, a couple of months into the autumn, and then it'll be locked down again. But I, I, don't, I don't see it happening. It already, within the last, what, couple of days since Boris made that announcement, you've got Huge scare stories all over the media about the numbers creeping up with the cases, um, you know, the risk to children, which is the other thing they're really amping up at the moment. And um, the fact that obviously the unvaccinated are are a huge risk and they've got to keep pushing the vaccine. So I'd be very surprised if as much changes on the on the 19th. And yes, I think by autumn, maybe early winter, we'll be back into some kind of a lockdown, whether it's full or regional lockdowns. I don't know how they're going to do it. but I think you hit the um, nail on the head when you said regional. I think they do want to give more and more power to local authorities to do it. They're really trying yeah. to wash their hands of it. Even with the uh, masks and even with the vaccine passports, they're they're pushing it onto the private sector, aren't they, Debbie? You can see that clearly. Oh, well, we, yeah. we, we want people to use their own personal responsibility on the one hand, but on the other hand, they say, and of course, businesses might want to do their own thing. So that's that's how I see it, and friends of mine see it. They'll they'll allow or try uh, to push the private sector to to basically run this uh, this bloody agenda, yeah. you know. I've got to ask yeah. you this, by the way. I've got to ask you this, um, Debbie. Um, this is, I'm not trying to set you up now for an argument. I love a good argument, but I'm not, I'm not going to set you up for an argument. Um, are you disappointed in Jeremy Corbyn? Yes. Yes, very, yeah. very disappointed. I like a lot of people on what was the left, whatever that means anymore, because I honestly don't see things in that way. I mean, the last year, we talk about the last year being a shock in many ways, but also the last year for me has been uh, a lesson in politics for me as a politics teacher. What I thought I understood, what, I, what is the reality uh, to me are two different things. You know, this left and right thing I, I think is is not what it's presented to be. And what I thought was the left was not what I thought it was. And I put my hands up as a lot of people now and, and say, I got a lot of stuff wrong. I did. 
Um, but Je- yeah, Jeremy Corbyn, as you're probably aware, if you've been looking into to what I do or what I did, yeah, um, yeah. I, I worked by Arthos to try and get that man elected. I really did because I thought me, it, it felt like a last chance at the time. I thought this is the last chance to to get somebody decent, you know, regardless of the politics. He, you know, a lot of people would agree he's a decent sort of genuine man and. You know, I thought, well, this is the sort of person I'd like to see as prime minister. So when all this started last year, I expected at least some on the left, people like Jeremy Corbyn, um, George Galloway, even people like that to, to speak up. But they have been, I'm sorry, they've been a disgrace. Abysmal, yeah. I've, I've been disgusted with them. I really have because... You know, this is a man, Jeremy Corbyn, that his life has given his life to working for human rights. You know, you know, he stood up for against apartheid and all sorts of issues. But so where is he on this about yeah. human rights in uh, this country? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm, a, I'm appalled, actually. And I have to say, I, I've got no more time for Jeremy Corbyn. When I see him turning up with these silk face masks on at different events, I just, no. I am. Um, whereas his brother, that's a different matter. Now, there's Corbyn that I, <laughs> yeah. I really uh, have time for. But um, yeah. This thing about um, the left right. Oh, no, you're not alone. The thing about this thing about the left right paradigm. My background is in political journalism, and until probably 2002, 2003, I'd have been very interested in the left. You know, I would have I would have worked with the Socialist Workers Party back home, the Workers Party. I would have helped out my local Sinn Fein uh, as best as I could because uh, a guy who's now a member of Parliament, a TD, David Cullinan, a uh, lot of time for David. So I would, you know, I, I'm a trade unionist. But um, it, it dawned on me back then that we, 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 it's illusory, the idea that we get a chance to change the, 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 the uh, trajectory of our world every four years. It, it occurred to me way back then, and I had help now, that the whatever the agenda is, it controls both sides of the aisle. And uh, it made me no more intelligent than anybody else. It didn't. We we all kind of get there at one time or another. They're great friends yeah. of mine now. I've great friends that are far. I would I would say they're intellectuals and they're brighter than I am. It's only now dawning on them that that um, democracy is is non-existent. It doesn't exist. It's hard. It's a hard place yeah. for people to land. It can't be easy for you, Debbie, because you're a politics teacher. I'm not buttering you up. You're obviously very bright. You're loquacious. You're inte- you, 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 you're, uh, you're 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 a great speaker. It's not easy when you realise, wow, it's rigged this bloody game. It, it didn't do me any favours when I discovered it. You know. Yeah, it's um, it's it's difficult, isn't it? As I said, to me, you know that that was the last step to think. Well, let's give try and yeah. try with this system one more time. Um, because I think it was a growing awareness over years. It's like you said, it takes years. You start putting all the pieces together, don't you? Of all this, Absolutely. all this stuff, all, all these different things, whether it's pharmaceutical corporations or whether it's political parties, local councils, everything, how it's all controlled by the by the same people. And I think it was just a growing awareness. And I think that was just that was the final part. Really, was was seeing seeing you know the last year what Labour. Um, when I say Labour, I mean I think the Labour Party's always been uh, been controlled, but people in there that perhaps I felt would be uh, a bit different 
but that was not. naive. Well, you weren't naive. No, you were not. Look, we. I loved my the the the, the politics. I loved um, the Socialist Workers Party. I loved my local Sinn Fein um, people. You know, I they're, they're great people with great ideas. But I look at them now. Sinn Fein is a disgrace. Sinn Fein would 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 rather more lockdown, please, please, with with salt and pepper. Yeah. Dreadful. There's no left yeah. in Ireland. There's no left over here. Do you, do you honestly think? And you'll know this. I remember doing shows about Brexit, and obviously I would be in favour of Brexit, and I was very much in favour when I was an Irish journalist of Ireland not ratifying the Lisbon Treaty. Now I would have had to keep yeah. that to myself, right? Because I had to be objective as a journalist. And when I eventually, you know, said how I felt. People accuse me of being some sort of right-wing lunatic. And I said to them at the time, Debbie, I said, do you really believe that the genuine socialists and trade unionists of the 1970s mm. and 1980s, the ones that we knew, yeah. do you think that they thought it was a good idea to open the doors to migration from Eastern Europe and to other parts of the world when you've got limited job places as it is? Do you think those trade unionists and socialists thought it was a good idea to make the jobs market even more competitive for their own members? And they had no answers, Debbie. They had no bloody no. answers. And I said, so don't no. say it's a right-wing thing to be concerned about immigration. Lefties or whatever, socialists were concerned about immigration long before, you know, yeah. uh, the, the Tommy Robinsons and those idiots. Long before. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's all been turned upside down, hasn't yeah. it? Well, this is this is the ridiculous thing, though. I mean, which is also obviously what I'm going through with this attack on free speech with the charge yeah. of the hospital. You know, this idea, and this is this is where it's become so dangerous, isn't it? We've been moving to this for such a long time where we can't discuss any of these issues, and you immediately get this this label slapped on you. You're you're far right. Yeah. You're this. You're racist. Or, you know, where we can't discuss whether it's immigration or whether it's leaving the European Union. I know lots of people. I mean, I'm, I'm, I used to be. I, that was something I did change on some years ago. I used to be quite pro-European, but in in recent years, actually, I've become very anti-Europe because um, it's recognising, as we've just talked about, that it's part of this whole globalist structure. It's part of the same thing, and. And maybe it's not even helpful to use these labels sometimes, yeah. globalist Europe, because it makes it all sound I like know, different doesn't it? when it's, it's actually all the same bloody thing. Well said. They all... want you, they want you, they want people like you to sound like Farage so that, so that they can have a go at you by using that yeah. terminology, even though it's yeah. appropriate terminology. They're hijacking language and, and yeah. transforming words and attaching words to it's it's ad hominem attacks basically time and time and time again rather than take you on on your opinion they shift they, you know they shift it to the you know 10 feet to the left and start having to go about something else oh globalism again oh you're a conservative you're right winger this no no these these are important arguments and important discussions to have and you made an excellent point there is no forum now where you can have you know robust but respectful and in-depth conversations. If they invite you on radio now, they want you for five minutes, Debbie. What yeah. good is that? You barely get finished your first sentence. The presenter jumps down your throat and then it's, well, thanks for coming on there, Debbie. Uh, you know, and that's what's happened to debate. I used to love debating years ago with people who disagreed with me, with people, you know, Fianna Fáil people or Fianna Gael people. And we'd have great debate. We'd have a point afterwards. We might go at it hammer and tongs. But nobody ever tried to destroy somebody because of their opinion or label them no. as a bigot or as hateful or hate speech. It was like, well, Richard, I totally disagree with that. And here's why. We don't do that. And as a politics teacher, 
You, you must be mm. bewildered at this development in recent years. It's wow. Well, I think actually what I've seen. I mean, I've I've, I've taught. I teach various subjects. Politics is one of them. But what I've seen over the years is is the same as everything that we're talking about. Actually, is I've seen the gradual um, erosion um, of of what I'd call proper academic standards. You know, critical critical thinking. That's yeah. what I've seen. Is, is is you know, if you try to encourage critical thinking as a as a teacher or a lecturer. Uh, and you try and encourage your students to do it, you will you you will face the consequences. I think because you they what they've done over the last well, I'd say forty years actually is the curriculums for everything have been so tightened up, whether it's GCSEs, A levels, even degree qualifications now they've become so tight and so specific that for the teacher or the lecturer to keep their job, they have to stick to teaching that curriculum. So. If, for instance, you've got a group of kids in front of you and they want to discuss, they, they want to discuss Brexit, say, um, but your piece of paper says today, you know, the curriculum says you've got to do this. You can't allow that. So it's all it's all controlled. And to get them to pass, which is what all the pressure is about in our education system, is pass rates for money. You have to follow those rules. Yeah. And uh, it's. You know, if I, I think back, which wasn't that long ago, really, in, in consideration to when I was a student, it wasn't like that. We we could discuss things and we could say something that was unpopular and lecturers would welcome something unpopular. Yeah. And they would welcome something that was perhaps what we what might be considered extreme these days because it, it, it was healthy debate to have it all out there and discuss it. But now, I mean, this is the, the political correctness, whatever we want to call it. Nobody can talk about anything, and there's a label attached to it, isn't there? And it's you're you're instantly, instantly shut down. So imagine, imagine if we imagine if when you and I were at uni, imagine if a lecturer paused before delivering the lecture, and um, said that, look, I'm going to be talking about this now and about that, and if this is going to make anyone uncomfortable. <laughs> Right, they can leave the room. The introduction of trigger warnings, and and of course, the trigger warnings obviously then evolved into having speakers cancelled or deplatformed because they might say something that somebody might be uncomfortable with. I mean, Jermaine Greer, for Jesus' sake, yeah. you know, to be told she couldn't speak. If we'd have been told that when we went to uni, I'd have belly yeah. laughed at that. You know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's not just speech, though, is it? I mean, talk about free speech. Well, it's you know, it's a, it's a little bit like what you know. I'm just thinking of the burning of the books that happened. It's just first thing that's running into yeah. my mind. I'm thinking back when I, before the days of the internet, we the internet had only just kind of was only accessible when I was at university. So we still went to the library and got books out. Yeah. And I remember going to the library and leafing through all the politics books and seeing Mein Kampf on the the, the shelf. Yeah, that's right. And look, actually. It. Just, just because you know, you should. Everyone should read everything to me. You know, you, why not? You know, that's that's how you learn. And now, all these books are completely censored. You can't even get hold of these books. I, I believe it's even hard to get rid of them. Uh, to get hold of 1984 by George Orwell now. So it's. Is that know, right? Is that right? Are people reporting that it's difficult to take out? Now that might be a good thing. That might be because people totally bewildered now at what's going on. Maybe more and more. Uh, Joe Publix are running into their libraries to, to, to borrow it, maybe, hopefully. But I rather suspect 
that it's more sinister, maybe they're trying to keep people from reading it because it's basically a manual for what's happening, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It it is a manual and it's it's, it's quite shocking, uh, you know, something that was written such a long time ago, how, you know, it's it's so accurate about what's happening. Although I suppose you've got other other things going on as well at the moment that that come from other dystopian writers. But, um, yeah, it's... uh, it's shocking how accurate Orwell was. I mean, obviously, there's theories about how much Orwell might have known, <laughs> how yeah. much he was, how he was aware of. But, um, but yeah, I know the um, it's, it's been a it's been a long road to to where we are actually. And I think it's only when you sit down and think about it that you realise that we've been on this on this track for a long time. And and I guess the powers that be, um, you know, could calculate that people were primed for for this time that they could. I'm not saying they are going to do it, but they could attempt to to do everything that they're they're starting. Yeah. Yeah. Debbie, do me a favour. Um, have a good weekend. Enjoy the football if you're going to watch it in an hour and a half's time. Enjoy the footy, and uh, I'm going to watch it myself. Do do um, all the best to you on Monday. Uh, everyone will be watching uh, closely. I know that you'd like people to come along, obviously peacefully. Of course, I, that goes without saying. I know, yeah. I know that. But but give us, um, uh, tell us where people should go on Monday and at what time. Yeah, no, thank you. So it's uh, a place called Sirencester, which is in the Cotswold. It's, it's in Gloucestershire. Um, there isn't a train station there, I'm afraid, but you, you, there's a car park. Uh, it's, we're going to gather in front of the, uh, the magistrate's court, which is on the forum, and we're going to gather at one o'clock. And we've got lots of people coming. We've got Piers Corbyn coming. We've got Jeff Wyatt. We've got all sorts of people who are going to talk. And then when I go off to find out what's going to happen to me, I believe there might be a march through the town. Brilliant. So, yeah, brilliant, Debbie, brilliant. And uh, just, just, just to remind, um, I know you, you say you don't do much Twitter, but it's Stroud Redshed and Stroud Redshed on on Twitter. Absolute best of luck. Um, I'll I'll be dropping you a message on on Monday evening. You can let us know how you get on anyway. Um, our listeners will be obviously wishing you all the very best and uh, and hoping for a bit of justice. You know, hoping for the judge to say, listen, whatever happens, yeah. I'll tell you what, though. It just finally, whatever happens, I will appeal. If they they charge me, I'm going to appeal. I'm not I'm not backing down on this. I'm not. No. Well, why should you, Debbie? What you did was exactly. the right thing to do. Thanks for coming on today. Really enjoyed chatting Thank with you, you, by the way, and uh, hope to do it again. You too. Thank you. Have a good weekend. You're bye. Very, you're, you're very. Bye, bye Debbie. Bye. I'm, I'm wishing Debbie a good weekend, and it's only Wednesday. I'm off my head. Uh, for some reason, I think it's Thursday. Uh, that was Debbie Hicks there. All the very best to Debbie on Monday uh, in Sirencester, uh, there in uh, in Gloucestershire. In Gloucestershire. Yeah, that's the one. It's a uh, quarter past six. Then let me read out a few. Is it? It is. It is indeed. I'm with you for another fifteen minutes today. Uh, you'll you'll just accept it is what you'll do. You'll take it and you'll like it. All right. I've got some very good guests tomorrow, by the way, must be said. Let me give you a quick uh, heads up. Dr. Jessie Keener is amongst the guests tomorrow. Lovely lady from Texas. I've been chatting away with her and uh, you're going to like her. She's a doctor and will be with me uh, tomorrow for an extended conversation. I do have another guest as well. That's uh, tomorrow, Thursday from five o'clock. And you've been tweeting me. So you have, like good old. You've been having a good argument amongst yourselves there about possible future guests for the programme. Look, politicians, particularly those who are, are, are pro-lockdown, pro-restrictions, they're not going to come on here. 
Um, Sir Desmond Swain was the last politician on the programme. And he was told by the Conservative Party. Now, he was told by the Conservative Party never to come on this programme again. And Sky News, the Guardian newspaper, Talk Radio and somebody else um, lambasted him for daring to come on the Richie Allen show. And I'm some sort of ogre me. <laughs> some sort of terrible person. You shouldn't ever appear with me. It's dreadful stuff. But they won't come on, these people. I could um, release emails showing that over the last seven years since this programme has been on air, hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of people I've invited on that, that won't come on. So there you are. And you can't, you can't do any more than, than invite them on, right? Okay. Abdul says, good evening, Abdul. Richie, you say that the left socialists, left slash socialists, were concerned about immigration long before the Stephen Christopher Yaxley Lenin types. That is due to things like, says Abdul, lowering wages and cheap labour, reducing employment protection because new immigrants have fewer rights usually, says Abdul. Thank you, Abdul. Let me scroll on down. William says, Richie, politics at its best is a distraction. The political system has failed the UK from the off. Maybe it's time we put Westminster on lockdown for good. Lock him in. Lock him in. Sean says, thank you, Sean. He says, Richie, for once I disagree. There's no harm in disagreeing, Sean. Sean says this government will not devolve its intrinsic, intrinsic even, authoritarianism to local government. The local council is the child, says Sean. Uh, this government is a parent who will never let the child do what it wants unless she agrees with it. That says Sean. Thank you. Adam says the real left is effectively dead. What we've got now is the hard neoliberal Tories and a socially liberal woke Labour Party. Thanks, Adam. Hi to Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. I do. I do have a way with words. I do. Sometimes, anyway. John says, Richie, I've got to say, I never fell for it one second, the scam. That's why I came looking for people of like mind and ended up discovering uh, this programme. Mo says, Richie, there is no opposition, but I'd love to see you have Brian Harvey on. Are you brave enough for the real truth, Richie? Why does Brian Harvey have the real truth? The former E17 singer. Uh, I've been asked over the years to interview Brian Harvey. Brian tends to make very serious allegations against people that um, he, he cannot substantiate. And what happens when you, when, you, when you interview people like Brian Harvey on a live radio programme is you end up getting sued for libel. Because Brian hasn't got a pot to piss in these days, allegedly. And that's a, that's a, that's a, a very sad thing. Uh, I, I had a telephone conversation once with Brian Harvey some years ago. He wanted to come on the programme. Problem was, Brian was making allegations against people that he can't substantiate, calling certain people child abusers and, and whatnot. So, so I never invited him on in the end. And uh, he, he, he didn't like that very much and he had some very unsavoury things to say about me, which I don't care about because I've got very thick skin. I'm not sure that Brian Harvey has the real truth about anything. To be honest with you, does anybody have the real truth about anything? Right? Do they? Does anybody know, chapter and verse, what's really going on? Because if they do, please direct me to such a person. 
We have our suspicions. And we have a lot of circumstantial evidence there. Hi to Shelley Tasker, by the way. How you doing, Shelley? In Cornwall. Uh, Shelley was one of the women I was referring to uh, when I mentioned earlier on that others have exposed um, the tall tales about packed hospitals. Shelley's done her own work there. Presents the Shelley Tasker Show, which you can find if you go on Facebook and look for the Shelley Tasker Show. How you doing, Shelley? Are you well? Emma says, Richie, they laughed at me when I tried to complain. Laughed. I don't have solicitor's money. Uh, these people are lawless, says Emma. Thank you, Emma, uh, for your tweet this afternoon, 21 minutes past uh, the hour. John Heffernan says, Richie, enjoyed the game. Have a Guinness or two. Colin has been on from Kerry. Jim Corr, Richie. I love Jim Corr. And I am in fairly regular contact with Jim. You'll find them on... Telegram these days. He's a gentleman, is Jim. A really, really, really lovely bloke. He's also incredibly talented. I I interviewed Jim a few times years ago in Spain and I demanded of Jim. He's doing a series at the moment. I must put links to it actually on on, on my Twitter thing. He's doing a a series at the moment. It looks very good, Uh, Jim. A series of uh, short films. He said that when he's done with that, he will come on with me for a good old chinwag. And I said, I will hold you to that, Jim. Because I was interviewing Jim Corr way back in the day when they were giving Jim dogs abuse in the Irish media and in the English media because Jim had the temerity to say, well, this 9-11 story doesn't add add up, you know. Of course it didn't add up. But they went after Jim big time, you know. It's what they do. But Jim stood up to it, fair play to him. He stood up to it, he stood firm, did Jim. Right, uh, yeah, lots and lots and lots and lots of tweets about these things. It's BBG Richie on Twitter. Uh, I, I will give a mention now to Sunday Morning Melodies, by the way. That's a programme that airs between 10 and 12. That's 10am, 12 noon on Sunday. It's me and a bag full of tunes and a few stories, a few short stories about those tunes. The only place to hear it is richieallen.co.uk and uh, the Tune In app, if you happen to be on the Tune In app as well there, lovely. Jen Byrne says, Richie, opposition will always exist in this reality, or at least it's supposed to. But as for asking guests on your show, please ask Richard Ashcroft or Ian Brown on. That's Richard from The Verve or, or Ian Brown. Both of those men were invited on this programme. Would you believe, Jane? But they won't come on, Jane. Because the minute that Richard Ashcroft or Ian Brown, two very, very famous musicians, the minute they come on this programme, they will be targeted by the British media because over the years I've had people on uh, who would be who the media would deem the media would deem them to be anti-Semites guilt by association they would be hammered in the press for coming on this programme that's how it goes that's how it goes you know hi to Annabel Peters uh, thanks for having John on John O'Lunig the, 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 uh, the Undertaker who came on the programme on when? Monday wasn't it? Monday yes thanks uh, to John thanks to Mark Boyersky again for, um, for for reaching out to John. John's an undertaker. He was on the programme, Milton Keynes, on Monday, if you missed it. And uh, he dropped a few bombs about the inflation of death numbers. He dropped a few bombs about how the bereaved are being treated by this government. Um, he talked about vaccine injury as well and vaccine deaths. 
did uh, John O'Looney. So check him out. Check that conversation out. It's on Podomatic, dear listener, which everything is. It's all on Podomatic, indeed. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I want to just mention very briefly, a number of you are in touch with me today to say, that was a great rant, Richie. I was punching the air. Yeah, whatever. Fair enough. Other people came back to me and said, Richie, um, that, you went a bit too far yesterday. And it is conduct unbecoming of somebody who often often stands on a pulpit or on a soapbox and talks about uh, standards. You're somebody who brags from time to time about your own standards. You're absolutely spot on. It is. It was a bit unbecoming yesterday. It was genuine. I lost my temper. I was having a bad day. I was having a proper bad day yesterday. Nothing domestic. Thank God. It's blissful. Me and El Frogo Tremendo. It's bliss. It's like something out of a soap opera. <laughs> and if you believe that, I'll tell you another one. Uh, I, I was having a bad day. When I put together the monologue, I don't really listen to the audio. That might sound like bullshit. It isn't. I download it and I edit it. But I'm doing about five or six other things. I really listened to it during the monologue. And I lost my temper because we heard from a couple of presenters. You, you know, we heard this. We heard people describe the paradigm, you know, describe the world they want to build, you know, where you and I have to commit self harm and go around on tiptoes and walk on eggshells and wear masks and take injections just so that some vulnerable people might be protected, which is insane. It's, it's, it's insanity. And I lost my temper. And I said something that was very wrong. I said my words were, speaking about a man whom I don't know, whose wife has blood cancer, I shouted out, basically, fuck your wife. Now, of course, I don't mean that. And if you've listened to me for years, you, you know that I don't mean to hell with some woman who's got blood cancer. Of course I don't mean that. But never in history have we asked people to commit real harm, because mask wearing is harmful, jabbing yourself is harmful, to protect the so-called immunosuppressed. It's, 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 it's madness, it's unscientific, and ultimately it's tyrannical. You're not saying to hell with the person who's getting cancer treatment. You're saying, lady or, or, or missus or, or madam, good luck to you, right? Good luck to you. There but for the grace of God go me. It could be me next year. I said that last night. I could have put it a lot better than that. It's not good. Somebody could be listening to the programme for the first time. I'm well aware of that. So uh, you came down really 50-50 uh, on me today. Richie, uh, it, it, you said what I'm thinking and others correctly said it's unbecoming. And the ones who said it's unbecoming are right. I'm, I'm thick-skinned. My, my bosses used to haul me in over the years and kick the Learody out of me. Kick the balls out of me. To say, you, you, you know, you should think about what you're going to say. Unbecoming and it was, a, it was an unseemly rant. Uh, I take the slings. And uh, I'll, I'll bear it in mind going forward. You know, programmes like this, newer, we're, 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 we're meeting new listeners all the time. And I think if somebody was listening to our programme yesterday for the first time, they probably wouldn't come back. So you've got to live with that, right? You live by what you say, you die by what you say. I don't have a hard, um, I, I, I'm not somebody with a hard exterior, a hard exterior, a hard demeanour. I don't think to hell with people. 
or, or leave them to fend for themselves. No, I don't. I don't believe in survival of the fittest. But it's tyranny. The thing they're suggesting is tyranny. You live the way we tell you to live because it might add some years onto the life of somebody else. Now, of course, if that was proven to be true, we could have a discussion about it. But we know it isn't true. We know it's a lie. So I lost my temper. And there you are. Tough shit, Paddy, it happens. But um, yeah, I take it on board. Right now, I am uh, taking my leave of you for today. I told you I've got two guests tomorrow. It'll be a busy programme tomorrow. If you're watching England, Denmark tonight, whoever you're supporting, enjoy the game. Have a drink and uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks so much to Debbie Hicks. Good luck to Debbie on Monday. Closing out the programme with Albert Hammond then. See you tomorrow.